I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me, please, again, to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. Would you turn there, please? Genesis chapter 3, and if you'd like to use a Bible that's provided for you there in, in the seat back in front of you, you find that on page 3 of that Bible, Genesis 3. Uh, we are continuing a series that we've entitled, In His Image, In His Image, and being reminded that the everyday small things of life are really only understood in the big, big issues of life. And there could be no bigger issue, no bigger truth to encompass our lives than the recognition that we are made in the image of God and that we are his image bearers. And so we are asking the Lord to help us to understand that theme as it opens up the Bible for us. And I, and I do hope today and the next Sunday that you'll see that this, this idea of being made in the image of God and restored to the image of God is really the key that opens up the Word of God. And it opens up our understanding of God's great plan and how we personally, individually, fit into that great plan. And so I'm excited for us to take this journey. And this morning we're going to be back here at this chapter, chapter 3, where it all begins. Now this past week, as I was uh, watching uh, some news, I was reminded that this past week was a somber, uh, sacred holiday in Israel. It's often called the Day of Remembrance. Uh, it is set aside because it was uh, on that date in January in 1945 that the survivors of the death camp at Auschwitz were liberated. It's a very solemn, uh, sacred, sober day for the nation of Israel. And so there were some uh, programs on this week on the television about that. And I watched a couple of those and again was just reminded of how hideous, terrible to even comprehend that within a period of less than six years, six years, million Jewish people exterminated, exterminated by the demonically, satanically fueled hatred of anti-Semitism in the heart, not only of Hitler, but also the leaders of Nazism. Terrible and awful. Really without precedent. But then I also thought of an amazing thing that happened immediately after the liberation of those death camps. Though most of the Jewish population of Eastern Europe and Western Europe to a great extent had been obliterated, exterminated, there were groups of them that began to try to find a place to settle. And it is, it is a blight to recognize that really 
there was no country in Europe that really opened uh, their hearts for a resettlement. But in reality, and I believe providentially, uh, those Jewish survivors did not think that they should even stay there for the most part. And some of them decided to try to make it to their true homeland, Palestine as it was called then. And by every kind of vessel, every type of transportation, tens and twenties and hundreds and a few hundreds started making their way to Palestine. Immediately there, they were attacked, but they would not leave. It's an incredible story. Maybe you should read it if you've not, how they, they dwelt in caves and underground bunkers by day, and they would come out at night and sow their fields. And they would not leave, and they had a few weapons. And then some more were brought to them and they started to fight back. And as they fought back, their existence became a little more secure and they were relentlessly under attack for the next few years. And finally, in May of 1948, that small group of Jewish people were able in, a, in victory and in recognition led by a great part through the United States and our president, Harry Truman, to be recognized as a sovereign state. And from that time, thousands and thousands and thousands have gone back, generations have been raised up so that now in... Uh, the land of Israel, there's about 4 million Jewish people living there. As a matter of fact, last year was the first time in modern history that there were more Jewish people in Israel than there were in the United States. One thing those early Jewish people did as they entered their, their return to their promised land, the land that was promised to their ancestor Abraham, they began to plant trees because they, they discovered that over the centuries, the, their homeland had been completely denuded of all trees. And so they began to plant trees. And since 1948, 300... 50 million, now closer to 400 million trees have been planted in Israel to, to make it again a, a country of a, a force, even as it was for the most part in, in biblical times. Those trees are returning health, physical health to the land and to the environment, making sustainable ongoing life there in that part of the world. But also, every tree is a symbol of the hearts of those people who came back and their descendants that we are planted here. 
We're here and the nation will flourish even as these trees flourish. There's a significance in that when you read Bible prophecy. The Bible tells us in the last days that the people of Israel will once again be in their homeland as a nation. Now, those trees are symbols of restoration. They're symbols of hope. They're, they're symbols of a reclaiming of the promises that were made. And as I thought about that this week, I thought that's a perfect image for what we see here in this Bible story. We see here in this story that begins in the Garden of Eden that there is a terrible distortion and marring that happens to the image bearers of God, Adam and Eve. They, they are ruined in reality as image bearers, but in the midst of that ruin, there's a promise given. A promise of restoration, a promise of redemption, and that story really is a story of trees. And that's how I'd like us to see it this morning. I want you to look at our text here in Genesis chapter 3. Let's begin reading at verse 8. I want us to see this incredible story of the redeeming, the redemption of the image of God wrapped around the story of these trees in the garden. It says in verse 8, And they heard, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. This is a desire on her part to control and a desire on his part to dominate her. It's a result of the curse of sin. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to the dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she is the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he should reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now notice, this story is built around trees. The story of trees. The, the ruin and the restoration is built around the story of trees. I want you to notice this with me, that we're, our attention is called, did you notice this, to the trees of the garden. There were beautiful trees in the Garden of Eden, but notice in chapter 2, if you would, look back at chapter 2, our attention is called to two of these trees. Chapter 2, look at chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Now notice our attention is specifically called to two trees. There are many, many types of trees, beautiful, luscious trees, but our attention is called to two of these trees. Now, these two trees are literal trees. They, they did exist, but it's very clear as you read this that they also have spiritual significance. Our attention is drawn to them not just because they are trees with these names, but because there's spiritual significance in them being placed in the garden. Now notice one of them is called the tree of life. Did you see that? The tree of life. And we can't imagine how beautiful must have been the tree of life. And, and how luscious the fruit must have been. How delicious the fruit of the tree of life must have tasted nothing like asparagus and turnips and, and those terrible things that sprung up after the fall. The, this, this is luscious fruit. Now notice the tree itself represents all that is life. It's called the tree of life. It is the representation of life. It's a visible representation of the goodness of God who has created all things. 
And all the world is working in perfect harmony. God and man and his creation. It's perfect. And in the middle of it all is this incredible tree that just symbolizes every moment the goodness and beauty of God. The sweetness of life with him. It represents the sweetness of the covenant existence that Adam and Eve had with their father. They lived before him in perfect joy and peace, delighting in him and he delighting them in them. And it's the tree of life. The joy and sweetness of life in the presence of God. Perfect harmony maintained by God. Now the only requirement, the only requirement for their continued enjoyment of what God had given was for them them to love God and trust him. Loving loyalty and trust in him. That's all that was required, and it was expressed. That requirement was expressed in the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of good representing God, his goodness, his perfect will. His incredible kindness, his purposes, which are so wonderful. But it also is called the knowledge of good and evil. Good, God's will. Evil, God's warning. Evil exists. Even then, evil existed. Eons before, perhaps, we're not told. The most beautiful of all of the creatures of God at that time, Lucifer, the shining one, the leader of the angels, lifted up in pride, desiring to be like God, led a rebellion against God. And he was cast out of heaven, along with all the angels that rebelled with him. And he exists. Evil exists. He is evil personified. And to know, to know evil, God says, is to know death. To know evil, to go where Satan has gone is to know death. That's the reason God said in verse 17, chapter 2, notice what God said. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here we see the tree of death. There's a warning. If you are disloyal, If you choose evil over good, if you follow 
the evil one, rather than following me, the good one, you will experience death. You see, Adam and Eve, listen carefully, were not created as robots. They were not programmed only having an ability to do what God wanted done. They were created in his image. They are like God. They represent God. Therefore, they have the ability to make choices. They have the ability to deliberate. They have the ability to make moral decisions. And God, in creating someone like himself, male and female, created in them the ability to make moral choices. And they chose evil. They chose evil. How did that happen? How, how could their thinking be so twisted to choose evil? Because of the way evil was presented to them. Not as terrible and awful and dark and hellish, but beautiful. Satan knew how to present evil. He did it like this. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, this is the serpent, but it is the person, the being using the serpent. This is Satan. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice what this evil one is doing. He is putting questions into the mind of the image bearers. Questions about God's truthfulness. Did God actually say, you, you cannot eat of the tree did God actually say that? He's, he's putting a question mark where God put a period. He's questioning absolute truth. He's questioning whether there is a source for absolute truth. Can you not determine your own truth? Aren't you image bearers able to decide your own truth? And then he questions God's trustworthiness. He said, let me tell you what's going on here. God is telling you not to eat of this fruit because he knows when you do it, you will become like him, knowing good from evil. God's holding back. God doesn't want you to be all you could be. God is restricting you. God wants you to stay under his control. God doesn't want you fully independent. He doesn't want you experiencing true freedom like he has. And tragically, Adam and Eve believed the serpent and they betrayed their father. They believed the serpent and they betrayed the father. They sinned. They disobeyed. 
They became disloyal. They rebelled against their all-loving Father God. But what they didn't know is this. Listen, friends. That in betraying their Father, they were betraying themselves because they're made in the image of the Father. In destroying and the, the relationship that they had with the Father in choosing to go their own way, they were destroying themselves. They, they were only hurting themselves by trying to liberate themselves from God. And they ruined themselves. They ruined the relationship with the creator. Now they're hiding from him when they used to go running to him. His voice used to be the delight of their ears. Now they're hiding, hiding. They, they've ruined their relationship with creation. Everything is now turned upside down. Now everything is working against them, not working with them. They've ruined the relationship with each other. Uh, they, they don't look at each other the same way. They're ashamed of themselves and ashamed of each other. The perfect relationship between them has been ruined. And now they're trying to control each other. They're blame shifting on each other. It's ruined. The curse came. The curse came. And paradise was lost. Look at chapter 3. Paradise was lost. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, which is an um, angel that guards the presence of God. A guardian angel, a guardian of God's holiness, his throne. And a flaming sword was there that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The image bearers were ruined. They were ruined and they were put out of the garden. But I want you to know something. I, I need you to see this. There, there's also grace here. You see, God is not acting as a bully here and putting them out of the garden. He, he's not acting in anger that's consumed him. He already knew what had happened. He knew what was going to happen. He's acting graciously here. What is he doing? He says now, lest Adam and Eve would go and take the fruit of life and live forever. How is that grace? Because in their fallen condition, in their ruined condition, if they take of the fruit of the tree of life, then they will live 
forever in that condemned condition. They must live forever in that depraved condition. They will never, ever be able to be changed. They will live forever that way. They will become like Satan himself, who is beyond redemption, beyond hope, beyond repentance, beyond restoration. These image bearers will never be able to be helped. And God says, do not let them come back. Now remember, God, as he sees what they have done, he makes pronouncements of curse. You've cursed everything. You've cursed the earth. You've cursed yourselves. You've cursed your relationship. But in the midst of those pronouncements of curses, notice there's the first promise. Did you hear it? There's the first and only gleam of light into this dark, dark story of image bearers being ruined. Listen to it. Here's the first promise in the Bible. The first gospel promise. Chapter 3, verse 15. God is speaking to the serpent. He's cursing the serpent. But listen to what he says, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, he shall bruise your head. And you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. God says, there will be those who are like descendants, followers of the serpent. And they will hate the descendants, the, the followers of the faith of Adam and Eve as they journey on. He's talking about a, a spiritual conflict, but notice he's talking about also two individuals. He says to Satan, I am going to put enmity between you and your seed and the woman and her seed. And then he says this, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. There is someone who is coming, Satan, who's going to crush you. He's going to crush you and all you stand for. And in crushing you, you will bruise his heel. He's going to be a wounded warrior, you could say. Now, where would this happen? Where would this happen? You know where this would happen? On a tree. On a tree. The tree of Calvary. The tree of Calvary. The tree of Calvary. You remember the tree on which Jesus was nailed? It's called a tree. Cursed is everyone who is nailed to a tree, the Bible says. For Jesus, it was the tree of death. 
the tree of death. Crucifixion, horrible, horrible, horrible death. But what was so terrible about the cross, the tree of death, is not what the death was, horrible as that, it's whose death it was. Who was nailed to the tree? Who was nailed on this tree of death? The Lord of glory. The Son of God. The Prince of life. The second Adam from God. The perfect image bearer. The one who is the perfect image of God. The Son of the highest was nailed to the tree. And his heel was bruised. Physically bruised. When the Son of God, the image bearer on earth, was hanged on that tree, the spikes driven through his feet crushed his heel, bruised his heel. But he was not a victim because as he was nailed to that cross, suffering and dying for sinners, his heel was not just being bruised by the spikes, his heel was being bruised because in that moment he was stepping on the head of Satan. He was conquering the power of Satan. He was the image bearer being perfectly devoted to the Father's will. He would not go astray. He would not take of the tree of the knowledge of evil. He would take only the knowledge of God and fulfill God's will even to the point of death. And in his loving death, he would crush the head of the serpent. And now, listen carefully just before we come to the table. Do you remember what God put outside the garden so that nobody could come back in to the tree of life? and into his presence in their sinful condition who would be cursed forever. What did he put there? The cherubim, right? When Jesus died on the cross, in the temple there was a curtain hanging. Behind that curtain is where God was believed to dwell with his people. And remember in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, there was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the broken laws of Moses. And on top of that covenant was the beautiful, beautiful throne of God called the mercy seat. And blood was put over the top of that covenant, that law, the laws of Moses that had been broken by sin. Once a year, the blood was applied and God would see the sins of people through that blood. But there was a curtain in front of that. From the top to the bottom of the temple, 
And what was woven on that curtain? Do you remember? Flaming cherubim were woven on the front of that curtain saying, stay out. You cannot come into the presence of God as a sinner and live. But do you remember? Remember? When Jesus was dying, he took all of his strength and what did he cry out? It is finished. Meaning, he had lived the perfect life. He had given his life for image bearers who had sinned against God. He had conquered Satan by his life, by his death, and in his resurrection. And when he cried out, it is finished, the Bible says that curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And what did it mean? Come on back. You can come back now. Because my son has made the way. He has crushed the serpent's head. He's been bruised. But he's paid the way. And the door is open. And all of you sons of Adam and Eve, all you daughters and Adam and Eve, sinners and broken as you are, you can come back through Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Dear friend, as we take this bread, think about that story of the trees. Think about that tree of life. And that tree of life is the tree of Calvary where Jesus gave his life in his death for you. Praise him for that. And dear friend, please, please, can't you see that the way is open? But there's only way back. And the only way back is through Jesus. And those that come to him are welcomed into his presence to live in his presence forever. Trust him. Call upon him. Believe on him. And you will be welcomed back.